And we're live. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. Uh, if you're joining us, this is week 56. Thanks so much for being a part of this. If you're watching this live, awesome to have you here. You can interact with us if you go to our website, clcfamily.church slash watch live. It'll bring you to a place where you can actually interact. Grab your lunch. Yes. Join us. I'm not sure if I'll be able to get to everybody, but I am trying to be on there to entertain any questions or just kind of interact with anybody there. So thanks for joining us. If you're listening to this after we're live, thanks so much for joining us. We really hope that this is beneficial for you, something that you grow and are challenged in your faith with. So we're glad that you're joining us today. One of the things that we want to just kind of draw your attention to before we jump into what we talked about this past weekend is that we do a weekly vision update. If you don't know what we want to do, oh, sorry, look at that, guys. Let me just mute us as I'm watching us and interacting. So I'm, I'm having, having a really good hair day. <laughs> right before we went live, he talked about like for at least 15 seconds, like how good his hair looked right now. So anyway, um, Weekly vision update. Uh, in this time, especially as COVID has changed a lot of different things, changed the way that we've been able to interact with one another, we want to make sure that we're doing our very best to communicate you with you what we as a church are doing. And so one of the, the things that we started probably at this point 10, 11 weeks ago um, is that we want to do a weekly vision update, let you know what we're doing, what we're thinking, and the reasoning why yeah. we're doing things here at the church. So if you are interested in being a part of those, we do those every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Um, we'll go live. You'll be able to kind of uh, see that and watch that on our website, clcfamily.church. Again, watch live. It'll bring you to a site where you can kind of interact with that. So that is something that we are doing. And as you can see, Christian Hessling, if you're watching this live, he's putting up the, uh, the links there as we're yeah. talking. Good job, Christian. Um, so we do want to bring your attention to that. Just encourage you to be a part of that. If you're part of the church, you want to know what's going on, you want to know why we're doing certain things, we would encourage you to check those out Thursday nights at 8 o'clock on our website. We'd love to have you there. So that's probably all the updates that we have for you. Did you want to kind of bring us into uh, week six of Jesus for President, kind of what we talked about? Why, yes, Ben. I would love to bring us up into, up to what was we that, talked was about. Was that too specific? Like no, week six? Like, I mean, like... It, for sure, I was, what was I going to say no. Well, I wanted to be like uh, like Luke of just giving a tidbit of information, and I just I'm not like Luke. So, so um, yep, we're in uh, Jesus for President Week Six, the Gospel of Luke Week Twenty, whatever that yep. is, where we just been slowly and methodically walking through the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's a gospel written uh, to a guy named Theophilus, a, a affluent, probably Roman leader, who was trying to figure out whether or not he should put all of his hope in Caesar and the Roman government, or he should put his hope in uh, Jesus as Lord, right? So that migration from saying Caesar's Lord, which is a really bad thing because Caesar can't fulfill you, definitely can't forgive you when you mess it all up, right? And so he uh, hires this guy, all true, not folklore, myth, or legend, this guy named Luke, a, a doctor, scientist, turned investigative journalist, mm -hmm. to go kind of journey through and ask all the right questions to all the right people, read all the right documents from all the right people, and Listen to all the all the statements from the right people, and then he gathered up an orderly account. Tells Theophilus that he writes this thing for Theophilus, and for a non-Christian audience, uh, the Greeks and Gentiles, and for us, uh, that we may have certainty in the things we've been taught. And so, in a world that uh, has very little certainty, in a week that has very little certainty, it makes sense that we would cling to some things that have some certainty. And uh, what Luke is going to get at over the course of uh, a lot, you know, 1,153 verses is what we can have certainty on. What we can have certainty on is Jesus. Uh, that means we can have certainty on the truth. Jesus says he's the way through the life. So he's been kind of charting through it. It made a lot of sense to me that we would uh, spend some time thinking about the coming kingdom. And not the coming kingdom as in one day in some eternal ethereal place, but like in the coming kingdom that we have access to now. Jesus said his predecessor, kind of his trumpeteer john the baptist said repent for the kingdom of god is near so we're close to it and one of the things i wanted to make sure the guard against is that uh neither presidential candidate was going to get us to the kingdom of god they were not going to drive us to our destination and so the kind of the working big idea has been uh you should place a vote in the candidate and you did probably but you cannot place your hope in that candidate and uh probably half of our country right now is really disappointed maybe all of our country is really disappointed in how all this played out and what's going on and what's saying what and, uh while there hasn't been any kind of major catastrophe going on in their country now we could celebrate that uh there's still a lot of confusion we don't have much certainty and so i was really excited this week to kind of 
draw our attention back to the place we have certainty, which is Jesus. But the big idea this week, which is kind of the, the switch of what we're going to see Jesus do in the Gospel of Luke, is he's going to come and he's going to start rule and reign and establish his kingdom, but he's going to then invite people into it. You've got to join us this weekend when you see his first followers. Really, really, finally, okay, what is our part in this coming kingdom? What is our part in having certainty and what that means for how we participate in it? But the last kind of week before we get to these first followers, what we see is Jesus kind of shows off his authority, right? So we this weekend we kind of uh, looked at and acknowledged who our real enemy is. It's not your Republican or Democrat friend. It's not the one with the sign that you disagree with out in your yard. It's not the you know the capitalist or the socialist or the Marxist. It's not it's not any of those things, right? It's those are not our enemies. What we see in the scriptures is there is a real Deep and dark principality of evil, and it's referred to in the Old Testament as the Satan, Satan, which means the adversary. There is an adversary for your life, and this is where it gets kind of complicated. But I want you to hear it, and he hates you. He hates you, which can make us really, really scared. It does give us some understanding of what's going on in our world and the evil that's in our world and what's at work. And you can call me crazy for thinking these things. But when I read the scriptures, like we got to talk about all of this, and there is an enemy. And he does hate you, and you can think I'm crazy, right? But you can also look at our world and go, well, it's pretty broken. There is a lot of evil, and we have to figure out where evil originates. And so what I want you to see is that it doesn't originate with God. It, it originates with the enemy, the, the adversary of God. And they're not equals. And what we see here is the reason we know they're not equals is because Jesus has full reign and full power and full authority over the enemy. And he rebukes, which means he establishes the minimal value that... It, that the enemy has, that Satan has, that demons have, that sickness have over our world, and he has full authority. But that's not the big aha. The big aha, the big idea of this past week was this. It was you have, and I have, right? We have at least as much authority as President Trump, uh, uh, well, it seems to be President-elect Biden, uh, the Supreme Court, the Senate, the House of Representatives, your mayor. You have at least, probably more authority than any of them to actually do something for our world and to bring in the coming kingdom. Why? Because Jesus exercises that authority and then, then, then he esteems and empowers and fills us with the same authority that comes from his spirit, his life, his breath that breathes into us so that we can walk in the fullness and the power of that authority, which is mind-boggling. And my guess is it's hard for you to believe it, which is why we're going to have to continue to remind you of it, continue to work through it, continue to walk this out together because we'll forget it often and continue to investigate what does it mean to walk in the fullness of what Jesus has called us to. So now we're going to begin this journey of what does that look like? How do we connect? And then how do we actually spend time with Jesus in his presence, which will lead us to the next six, eight weeks of sermon material. Okay. Uh, you know, we got a couple of different of uh, questions that I'm pretty excited yeah. we'll get into. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like one of the first questions that I am kind of asking, and it's kind of a simple one. I feel like it's an, oh, maybe a warm-up. Um, like, as you were talking about authority, like, that was where you kind of parked, understanding Jesus' authority, and then also understanding our authority. Why is that important for us as believers? Like, both understanding who Jesus is, what he has authority over, and then also understanding what we have authority over as well. Well, and authority, and this is this was really important. Um, I think one of the questions asked them about this, Matthew 10, I want to say it is, where Jesus splits them up in pairs of two. So he pulls them out, his 12, and he splits them up in pairs of twos, and he sends them out, and he gives them his authority, right? Yeah. And they go and rebuke the demons. They minimize the, the power and authority that the demons have. They call, call it literally out of people. When they come back and they're like, yeah, we did that. Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 that's not what you celebrate. That's me, right? But yeah. what you celebrate is that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So while the authority really does matter and we should exercise in it, that is, that is secondary to what's primary, which is what God's power, why gives us authority, does in us. And so what we understand is when Jesus starts his ministry, it says, like, he comes out, like, he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit lands on him like a dove. Jesus, God announces, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. Gives him all the authority, right? And then when he seen him open up the scriptures to read Isaiah 58 and 61 in the synagogue in Nazareth, it says the spirit of God was on him. So we're seeing that there is this power that was given to Jesus to exercise all that God's called us to do. Mm -hmm. The reason that's important is because what the scriptures tell us that when we're in Christ, we now get to participate in all the things that Christ participated in. And that what that means is, we get to participate. We get to be place ourselves in him. So that's why you can't place your hope in a candidate. You have to place your hope in someone else. That's Jesus. When you place yourself in him, what that means is that we get all the benefits and attributes that Jesus 
offers to us, and those are that Jesus literally dies. He dies. The flesh of him dies. But then that spirit in him defeats death and brings him back to life for all eternity. So when we think about resurrection, which is the life that God has for us, this beautiful life for all eternity, when we think about that, we go, how do we get into that? Well, you can't get into it, right? In Romans 5, it says, hey, just as one person got us into all this, that's Adam, the, the, the flesh of man. One person gets out, us out of all of it, but not only gets us out of it, it gets us into what he's planned for us. And that can't happen with our own power and authority because we can't afford the tickets, right? So we don't get access to God because we can't afford what it costs. Yeah. But Jesus can. And so we get this, and I talk about it all the time. Like, I want to go see a Duke, North Carolina game in basketball, and I want to sit courtside. It'll never happen because I can't afford it. I, and if I could afford it, I couldn't imagine spending ten grand per seat. The only way it would ever happen is if I happen to know someone who had access to those seats, right? right? The president of the university, Mike Krzyzewski, what, or the, the coach. I don't know those, but that'd be the only way. The only way you get access is either you can afford it, I can't, or you have access because someone who can afford it yeah. gives you access. We can't afford to pay for participation in the kingdom of God, but Jesus gives us access. Well, how does he give us access? Well, he gives us his power and his authority and his spirit. He gives us the authority to walk into the throne room. That's what I love what Tim Keller says. The only person... In the history of the world, who can interrupt a king at 2 o'clock in the morning and ask him to wipe his bottom, by the way, is his little bitty boy, or his little bitty girl, his child, right? And so that's where we get, we get that authority and that access to the living God. And the only way that happens is Jesus implants his spirit in us. And so that resurrection life comes to us. So we got to understand that we are living, not as everybody else is living, but we're living with the authority of the kingdom of God right in front of us, in front of us and within us. And every interaction with the person across the counter, and every conversation we have with our spouse or kids, like there's so much to be had in that. But we don't, we don't celebrate the authority. We have to acknowledge it. We have to leverage it in the way that God calls us to for the kingdom. What we celebrate is the fact that God's authority and power and spirit that lives in us is what gives us access to God yeah. for all eternity. So this is so mind-boggling. It's easy to go, well, that is, oh, that makes any sense. I'm like, well, what does make sense? Yeah. That you're going to punch your ticket in an election and that's going to fix all your problems? Right. We have. 200 years of historic context to know that's not going to happen. Just in our country, we have thousands of years of anthropology to go, that just doesn't work. So make more sense that we put our hope in a creator that started all this than the creation and the ideologies of flawed, infallible human beings. Yeah. So. As you're talking about, this does tie directly into one of the questions yeah, that so, sent to yeah. us. So, so I want to read that question, yeah. and it's in, in regards to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, yeah. So this is the question. First, they, they kind of thank you for, uh, you know, talking about that we have an advocate and an enemy, and for us to not focus on the enemy, but to be aware and wise how Satan works in the realm that he works yeah, yeah. in. That's my pleasure. Now, with that said, my question, with the understanding we receive the Holy Spirit at the same time of receiving Jesus into our hearts, do we need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit in our lives to give him permission to move in our lives? And then they go on to ask, I asked because I was not aware of the working of the Holy Spirit when I said yes to Jesus. For me, there was a separate experience that made me aware of the Holy Spirit in my life. I've heard it referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Any thoughts on this? I got lots of thoughts. Um, yeah, so let's think first about what the Spirit does. Uh, so Jesus kind of, uh, he dies. Right. They are devastated. Heart's broken. Peter goes back to fishing. They have not idea. And then Jesus shows up and serves them fish biscuits, which sounds so disgusting. But they have this little meal, and Jesus, this is where he goes, if you love me, if you must eat, if you love me, if you must eat, love right. you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, a lot of people pay attention to the different words for love. But what I really see is Peter was a, a, a fisherman. That sounds a lot like a hobby, uh, you know, to a shepherd of sheep. That certainly sounds like a job. So there's this growing up that happens for Peter in that. But in all these kind of, like, gathering, he spends 40 days spending with them. And then he says this. He says, hey, stay here. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and you will receive my right. spirit and then you will be my witnesses throughout you know Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria the outermost parts of the world so there is something about you gotta go well what's the purpose of receiving his spirit aha well it's really simple it's so that we can be his witnesses right and so yeah. we walk and we're living breathing witnesses of the spirit of the living God but here's what the Bible tells us we don't come to that conclusion on our own like even faith is a gift from God. If you understand this, if your eyes have been opened, a lot of you are going, I don't believe all this stuff. It's like, that's why I'm going, Holy Spirit, would you, even in these moments, make what seems so strange and 
weird would you unveil our eyes so we see this like i can't fix it i can't fix you i can't fix me but there's something instinctively that happens and so what we know is it's a work of the spirit that draws and woos people to himself so it would make sense as that happens you don't have words or labels to that like it's not like thinking about a a one or two year old or maybe a six month old like they're picking up things they're eating things they're picking up their cheerios they're eating their rice do they call those things cheerios in their mind Probably not yet. They don't have language for it. They just instinctively know. Hungry, that looks like fun, right? And so we don't know exactly how babies think, right? Because we think in languages and words. And we love talking to people who are bilingual. They go, hey, which language do you think in? Because we have words to put on our thinking. But that that is a part of human growth and development. So if we see spirituality as the same thing. Part of human growth and development is getting words and understanding to what the Holy Spirit has actually done in your life. So it makes perfect sense to, to go, I... All of a sudden, my eyes are open. I can't quite explain it. I can't. And this is why Jesus says it's through the, Paul says it's through the foolishness of preaching people are saved. All of a sudden, this, what seems so foolish and folly, and the Greeks were looking for more, you know, understanding, and the Jews were looking for more miracles, but it's just Christ and Christ crucified. All of a sudden, your eyes get open that, and there's this supernatural work that begins, this little seed that goes into you. But when it goes into you, you don't know what that is, right? right? So we, we've done a bad job of going, come up, pray the prayer, everything's fixed, now Jesus is in you. That's all true. But to be able to start understanding and articulating the words and understanding exactly what he's doing, that takes some language that we have to understand and some meaning and understanding that the Holy Spirit will start giving to us. So yes, absolutely. Uh, do you, does, <laughs> let me answer the first question. Does the Holy, do we have to give Holy Spirit permission? He doesn't need anything from us, yeah. right? Now... He's also a really, 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 really gracious God. And he, when you think about people who are really, really healthy, loving people, they respect boundaries, right? And so he's a gracious God. And so if you want to spend the rest of your life going, I want nothing to do with you, God, look, you're going to get your wish, which is devastating to me. But for those of us who would go, God, I'm at least open to the idea you exist, right? I am convinced that people who search for God are going to find him because he's going to make himself known. And I would say this wholeheartedly. There's only one way to God. And that is through Jesus. There are infinite ways to Jesus. Paul's walking on the road to Damascus. Maybe you were sitting in the back of a pew in a little bitty country church, right? Maybe you're reading the book of Romans like Martin Luther, and all of a sudden everything just changed. Don't know what that is, but it would make sense that we don't have language and words on it. But then, this is what Paul says. He became a Christian, and he's like a little child without any words. And then he grew up. And all of a sudden, as he grew up, he... he he started serving him more. And as you serve him more, you see the work of the Holy Spirit more because there's just more capacity and evidence when you have more context. And you get more context by more learning and more doing. So, yep, what you're talking about is a natural progression. And I think we'll get to it in just a second uh, between uh, what, what holiness is. How do you become like Jesus? Are you already like Jesus? And you got a couple of different pieces. you got, you know, the positional holiness, which is that moment you're perfect before God. He sees you through Jesus in the progressive holiness, which is, Little by little, day by day, the cumulative effect of the Holy Spirit taking more and more territory in our life. Yeah, I do want to get to that question. Yeah. And I, I just kind of found that other one that we had mentioned before about Matthew 10, 1. But yeah, it's good. basically the question says, Jesus showed authority over demons and illness. What does this mean for us today or to us today? Yeah, uh, what it means is we have that authority. Yeah. It's like we have that authority. Like you, again, and I, I know I sound crazy. And listen, I, what I was telling people even Sunday as I was holding my spirit filled microphone, right? It's just like, <laughs> I know this sounds charismatic or yeah. Pentecostal, whatever those terms are, and we're frozen, chosen Presbyterians, like at least, you know, uh, our nature and our pedigree here. Yeah. And so it, it sounds a little crazy, but it might sound crazy, it might sound charismatic, it might sound, you know, Pentecostal, it might sound, sound spirit-filled, but I'll tell you, whatever it sounds like, what I know it's rooted in is it's in the Bible. It's biblical. So what we know is Jesus gives us his authority. He gives us his authority. And we go, well, I don't really know. I don't really believe that. And it's like either you believe God's word is living and active and true or you don't. And the minute we start throwing stuff out of the scriptures to go, we don't believe them anymore, then no longer is God the authority of the scriptures. You and I are. Yeah. So we go at face value. This is what we understand in the scriptures, Right. And therefore, we operate those. And you go, I don't understand it. So I can't quite follow. I'm like, you don't know how an Apple TV works either. Or your laptop works, but you push a button and it works. And you don't go, well, I'm not going to use it because I don't understand all the different pieces. And you're going, you know it works. You're confident it works. You see other people use it. So you're going to use it. And you may never 
on this planet understand how that technology works. It doesn't keep you from using it. And so when you look at this, go, look, I, I know this sounds crazy, and I'm not trying to lead you astray and tell you to give me your money. Like, there's there's no thing I'm trying to get out of you. It's, oh, I want something for you. So, yes, what I see here is Jesus gives them and gives us his authority. No, he guards us in that, as I told you before, when they come back and he debriefs, which is what discipleship is. Splitting them up, sending them into a place of tension. What creates tension in our life gets our attention, yeah. right? He takes away all those things, so he sends them with nothing, tells them about persons of peace, but he does the great duty of debriefing. And the, the big aha of the debriefing is, no, 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 we don't celebrate our authority. That is not what we cling to. That is not where our confidence is found. Yeah. We celebrate the fact that we are known by the living God. He knows our name, and he has placed his spirit and his power on us. And what that means is we are his children now, and we will be those for eternity. Because that authority that God gives us grants us access. It's like you got to see it as this backstage pass that you walk in going, I know I get to go all the way backstage to the throne room because of what Jesus did for us. Yeah. So, yep, it's hard to explain, but I hope that, that that's not an obstacle to us still living in an active because there, if we have so many explanations in life for things that we do, like drive our car, turn the ignition, press the button, and we have no idea how it works. Yeah. And yet, we're confident that it works. Yeah. Why would we not be more confident in the living, active Word of God that was written over 1,600 years by multiple authors? And it would make sense we go, no, this is what we place our hope and confidence in. Yeah. Uh, kind of circling back to that. Let me say that. I'm sorry, I want to be clear there. Uh, one of the things I just said, I just want to make sure I clarify, because the way I said it, I go, oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying we place our hope and confidence in the words. I mean, we place our hope and confidence in the author of these words. Yeah. really, really important why I hold the Bible at really high value. It points to that, which is the highest value, right? We don't we don't worship a Bible. Right. We worship the one who wrote the Bible. just right. want to be clear, just right. in case. Right. Yeah, just in case it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. yeah, so kind of circling back to what you started to talk about, positional holiness. This was a question that one of our listeners asked. They said, hi, you talked about, Colossians 2.13, other verses in Colossians talk about being holy, blameless, above reproach, 1.22, and perfect in Christ, uh, Colossians 1.28. Quite honestly, I neither feel nor behave those ways. What's wrong? Yeah, so uh, here's what we're talking about. I'm just going to give you some language for it. You can use whatever language you want. It's not my language. It's just um, seminary language, I guess, or um, uh, thought leader's language. And so, like I said before, like, a baby before they have language, they still do those things. They just don't know what it is, and so a language just really does matter in these things. And by the way, a little bit of an aside, it matters so much that it says that God spoke. You know, He spoke, and that the world came. So there's something about the language that came out of God's mouth that really, really does matter, right? So words matter in this, and so these aren't necessarily Bible words. I mean, I can you can find them about the Scripture. So we're talking about uh, Colossians chapter one, where it talks about God makes us holy. He, in, 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 a, in an instant, turns us from a broken, pagan, right. defiant in our heart towards God to, in a matter of an, you know, a millisecond, turns us to his child. We are adopted, all those things. And so um, you can think about this in terms of foster care, foster to adopt, uh, or you know, adoption in some ways. There is this moment, right, for my daughter, which this wasn't, she didn't know any better. It was just, Sophie was, you know, just a few weeks old or, you know, a month and a half, two months old, that there came a moment where a judge made a signature. And in that moment, she became my child, right? Now, if we think about that in terms of a foster kid who was adopted, but had different parents growing up, all those kind of things. And all of a sudden, in an instant, in an instant, she becomes a child of, or he becomes a child of, you know, whether they're foster parents or their adopted parents. While that is legally and wholly and positionally true, in that child's heart, there's probably a long, long progression of going, I'm not certain of this. I don't know if they're going to abandon me. I don't know if this is going to be another one. I don't know if I get to go back to my birth parents, whatever those things are, right? And so I'm not saying that's the conjure of any kind of motion anywhere, but what makes it absolutely true positionally doesn't necessarily make it true for the person cognitively, right? right? And so... What we see happen when Jesus gives us his spirit, it is absolutely true positionally. You and I are blameless in front of Jesus, right? Because it says, he he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Literally in an instant, God, through Jesus, through what he does, he absorbs all of our dirtiness, including the dirtiness you're experiencing today, the stuff that makes you feel bad about why you asked that question, and into until you get to eternity. All that stuff, Jesus is exchanging that stuff, right? And so, and it literally says that God, if, if we confess our sins to God, he is 
he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Because he is faithful, meaning he keeps his word, and just, meaning he is not going to make you pay for something he's already paid for. That double jeopardy, right? And so positionally, what we're seeing in Colossians chapter 1 is you and I are holy. Now, this is where I'd say it gets confusing because my Wesleyan, Arminian brothers and sisters who I love and all that kind of stuff, they believe in this instant sanctification, which is kind of hard because... It just leads you to a lot of guilt and shame because you're going, wait, I thought Jesus fixed me. Then why do I keep struggling here? Why do I right. keep doing this? Why do I keep messing up? And there's an argument. that they, they use some arguments in terms of Paul's writings and what he doesn't. And then, But there's also Paul's writings that say, the very things I don't want to do, I continue to do. And then he goes, who can save this wretched man I am? And he goes, but be the Christ Jesus, right? So positionally, you can rest assured. That God sees you as holy and blameless. And this is why Paul tells us there's nothing, nothing that can separate you and I from God's love. Now, um, a lot of people don't like talking about that because the, the, the natural kind of bent is, well, then I guess I can just keep on sinning. Right? And so you got to go, well, I can't talk about grace too much because it's just a license to sin. And, you know, like Paul's actually thinking about that in Romans. And he goes, you're asking that question. You're like, well. How much more? Like, I can actually, if I sin more, God's grace is even more extravagant, right? And he goes, but you don't understand. Like, this isn't just you got out of that. You get into life. And so, positionally, you're holy and blameless and perfect in God's sight because he can only see you through what Jesus has already done for you. He sees you in eternity as perfect, right? And that's that what Colossians is talking about. And yet, as you say and I say, and I celebrate that you say it, that, boy, do we not feel holy and perfect. And here's, yeah. here's the dirty secret. I'm 39 years old, and I am the best Christian I've ever been in my life. And yet, I feel worse, and I, I, I'm more aware of my brokenness and the disparity between who Jesus is and who I am. And here's why. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to Him, Him the more aware you are of just the massive disparity between His love and perfection and all those kind of things. So I would argue... If you've gotten to the point that you go, hey, I've arrived, I got this, I'm good, I would go, well, I don't really see sanctification yeah. in that. So some of the things that we think about sanctification, that process of moving from eventually uh, now and will be. So he sees us now and will be as positionally holy, but then there's this progressive holiness that happens. That's what I would refer to as sanctification, the process of becoming holy. A couple of uh, check marks along the way are, one, do, we, do you have a desire to be more of a servant, uh, put more of your trust and hope into Jesus. If that desire is in you, and then I would say that would be a real good check mark of holiness, right? Because you desire to be different than you are. In fact, what I would argue is people who don't have any interest in being more like God, serving more like God, are people who are untethered from their own conscience and untethered from the Holy Spirit, meaning they have blasphemed and turned against the Holy Spirit, which means those are the people who walk into schools with guns or movie theaters with guns or strap a bomb to their... These are people who, are, you know, in this kind of way are just completely absent this positional holiness because they haven't received the, you know, the love and grace and, you know, reception of who Jesus is. They've said, God, I want nothing to do with you, right? So the first checkpoint is, obviously, you're aware of your flaws and brokenness and have a deep desire to fix those things, right? So that would be the first step. Now, what the enemy wants you to do is he wants to remind you of all the ways you messed up in the same way over and over again and go, see, you're never going to get it. And that's where you want to hide and cower. Instead, this is where you actually go, Jesus, would you forgive me? And this is where it says, God is faithful and just to forgive you, meaning he is there, he sees it, and will, and, 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 and. It's actually his duty and obligation, because he already paid for it. God goes, I'm not going to charge that for it. So that'd be the first step of understanding positional holiness and seeing it in the way. No. Another, so the first big one is, I now recognize the disparity between who I am and who Christ is, and boy, do I want to be like him. So that longing, really, really important. Probably the highest level. Now, the other thing that I'd say is a pretty important checkpoint to go, okay, is positional holiness actually helping me walk through progressional holiness or sanctification. And what I've learned is what I what I, what happens is when the things that you know are the right thing to do, you do them, eventually feel right, right? So what I mean by that is um, maybe you became a Christian and you go, well, I don't really want to trust God with the money. It doesn't feel good. I want the new car. I want the new pool, I want whatever it is, right? But I'm it isn't about what I feel like doing. It's about what the right thing to do is, right? Which, by the way, is what's so broken in our society right now is we think with our feelings. 
right? And so even with my kids, I'm going, no, 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 I'm not asking you what you felt like doing. I'm asking you, what is the right thing to do? So this understanding of, a, I want to please Jesus, and so I know what the right thing to do is. Now, what eventually happens is that gap between what you what you know is right and you do and what you feel like doing starts to close, and what you actually feel like doing, believe it or not, starts to become the right thing. This is when you love signing your tithe check. This is when you love celebrating your marriage and your commitment to it. This is when you love speaking life and writing notes of encouragement to people, right? This is when you love extending forgiveness and grace to people. You know it's the right thing to do. But as those things that used to just be right and you're doing them because they, you knew they're right, now actually renew and refresh our souls and hi, ah, you're on to something because that's becoming like Jesus, right? And so I, one place to really, really check that is in positional holiness, you stand before God and you go, God, I am, I know that you love me and there's nothing that will separate me. But in progressive holiness, what you start to notice is you have a heart for the least, the lost, and the lonely, right? Those who, because those are who Jesus had a heart for, right? And so you can tell by your desire to see uh, the lost know Jesus, to see those who are lonely find community, right? And so there's just some checkpoints along the way. So big ones are, yep, good job. You met the first checkpoint wholeheartedly. You recognize that there's a disparity between your perfection or God's perfection and our imperfection and our flaws, right? And then the second one is, am I doing the right thing? And can I find areas in my life that what used to be right, I do because it was right, but it didn't feel right. I started to feel right. A lot of things to check is your calendar, uh, your commitment to your relationships, right? And, uh, and your, and your checkbook. Those are really good places to start to see that. So I don't know the long, long answer to the question. Colossians one's about positional holiness and what we see and what we struggle with is the progressive holiness that happens for us. Yeah. I, I do want to say thank you for those that did submit questions. Great questions, man. I love mm-hmm. having those questions. I feel almost like, man, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Um, like I've got questions where we can start yeah. back at Capernaum. We were basically looking, where's that? Uh, <laughs> Where Capernaum is, uh, yeah, we, we were looking at I'm Luke starting. 4, yeah. 31 through 40, 41, so just 10 verses. And then really, we jumped into Colossians 2 as well. Yeah, so I feel like yeah. we've already done almost a deep dive. So from here, I guess I just, I mean, I can start asking some yeah, questions, but I do want to again say thank you for those that do listen, that ask questions. We love having those there. Uh, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I think all we got to was the questions that you as as the listener submitted, and that was a great overtime. I yeah, and what I would say is that, that, that that's our hope. Yeah. And it's not just because we want to answer your questions, but because the questions you have, other people have as well. Yeah, and right. so right. Um, in offering a question, you're actually asking something. There's a lot of people wondering why they don't feel better about yeah. their progress in yeah. this, right? And so thanks for asking that question. There's a lot of people trying to figure out uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and how that happens right. in our life. And right. so please keep asking those questions. And by the way, if you go, hey, yeah. Even having an additional follow-up, send another email, send another yeah, text. Please do. Or it's a, even now, right the second, jump in, click watch live. Right. Send it in the in the. Uh, we don't. We're not. We're not watching Facebook for the questions. But if you go to the watch live on our website, yeah. Throw it in right now, and we'll here. still be happy to jump on it. Okay. Uh, it's here, yeah. so I can kind of look that up. So uh, it's exciting to be a part of, and just mm-hmm. love the questions that you guys send. So as we do, kind of maybe we'll take it back to the text. So what we see is is that as this week kind of picks up, so Jesus has left um, the synagogue, he teaches there, and then what we see is that he goes to the town of, down to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was like his home base, right? Like, yeah, so you see a couple of things. I mean, this is where his best buddies, his first followers are, and so that would be Peter and Andrew. So Peter and Andrew are fishermen. In fact, you see Matthew 4, we're going to kind of look at this this week in terms of him inviting his first followers. They are fishers. He does the really neat, neat thing, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Eventually, going to be shepherd of sheep. It's pretty neat progress of what I'd call progressive holiness, right? He he meets them. He calls them by name. He invites them into ministry. And then he tells them what you've done in your life we're now going to use for the good of God, right? Yeah. So they become fishers of men. But then in the pro- process of progressive holiness, they no longer are just fishing for men. They're actually shepherding them pretty neat progress that happens and so there probably is some evidence in that in your life you're going am i am i fishing for man do i feel a longing for the lost and the least and the lonely and i'm interested in my shepherding sheep really but mm-hmm. shepherding people so anyway uh peter and andrew are someone we kind of look at at that whole yeah. you know progress and yet what we see here is that he's in capernaum because these are his boys right mm-hmm. and so uh this is a little confusing because this is uh post matthew 4 which is when he invites them to be first followers so you're gonna see some other followers okay. see that kind of stuff and but I, I, we're not sure exactly where this fits because we know that Mark and Matthew are written ahead of time. So 
Did he already know Peter? Was he hanging out with Peter? Was this his guy? Or is he already invited him into it? There's some assumption that that could okay. be the case. Or is he just happened to show up at a random person's house? That's Peter's. Okay. And then he's going to come back the next day and tell him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. I don't think, so I have to kind of sort through that and figure that out. But what we do know is this place eventually, eventually, yeah. maybe he's established it already or is going to establish it, will be like the headquarters right. of the movement of God. So uh, from this point, Luke 4 to Luke 18, this is kind of going to be the hub. He's going to keep coming back here, right? Keep coming yeah. back here. So this is, as we think about our place, like the airport, and the, you know, like the terminal, this is the terminal. He comes yeah. back. And then uh, what you see happen in kind of Luke 19, he transitions and sets his sight on Jerusalem. And what he's basically going to do is he's going to pick up shop and move to Bethany, which okay. is uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So that's okay. going to be the next part that we see. But here, for quite some time, the next couple of years, he is, this is going to be his home base. So we can assume this is pretty much where Jesus lived. Slept yeah. on a couch. I don't know how that worked. And so there's lots to think about here. You got Peter, and you go, ah, Peter had a mother-in-law, which means he had a yeah. wife, which kind of complicates the whole idea of what a priest is from, you know, uh, Peter being the first priest of the Catholic Church. Right. But right. So there are some assumptions that maybe he had a wife, maybe she died. But first century, second century writings, Eusebius and some others write about even Peter's like wife's passion for the gospel and also dying as a martyr. But regardless, where we find him is in Capernaum in these cute little tiny towns about the size of the Yeah, you, and you showed some pictures. Isn't that so cool? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, just Google Capernaum. Actually, Google Capernaum excavation. Yeah. The last 50 years, they've been doing some real work there, and you kind of get an idea. It's like a, yeah. like a, like a little condominium. Like, and so they share walls, and so we find them there. Pretty significant. There's not much privacy and not much room. Yeah. And so you got to go what's necessary for the gospel, you know, and, and what's unnecessary. And so we see here is that this little bitty home that Peter, uh, that Jesus is going to be at, and this is kind of going to be his home base. So he's kind of walking around. He's teaching in a local synagogue in Capernaum. I don't know if they're going to continue to build on to this little bitty house. Like, is this where all the followers are going to kind of go? But this becomes, because they spend a lot of time together. So this becomes like, this is the headquarters Right. The mission of the gospel. This is the campaign this, headquarters. That's right. This is this is Capernaum. This is yeah. that's what it is, and that's so weird because there's only hundred people, hundred and fifty, right. fifteen families country. maybe yeah. that represent ten to fifteen. So this little place is not a place that you imagine is going to be the revolutionary, you know, changing of the world, changing of time, and the changing of eternity. It happens here. So when he shows up and does these first things, this is really pretty significant. That when Luke kind of establishes his home base and what he's going to do. The very first thing he does is he shows off his authority. Yeah. And right. so this is really important because when we think about all the other stuff, when we think about any miracle that happens in the scriptures, it isn't that it's like Jesus is showing off. He's actually resetting and reordering the way life's supposed to be. Lame people are supposed to walk, blind people are supposed to see. Yeah. So every time he does that, he's he's showing us what the future holds and what's promised yeah. there. So in this moment, he's going, you see this evil. It is. It'll be handcuffed. It'll be rebuked. It'll be minimized in its value. Right? Yeah. And so that what it will happen here. And so it's pretty significant. The very first thing you see him do, yeah. it's important probably for Luke, is to go, let me show you who has the authority and what that means for yeah. us. So he's going to establish, you know, two big things. You've got the authority of demonic spirits. Right. Boy, so you got people that can make your life a living hell. Yeah. Right? And so that's what a demon can do. Right? So you see that here and now that experience. And you got the other thing. This lady, Peter's wife, her mom, is about to die. Yeah. So you got the, the living fear of demonic and then you have the big fear for all of us is death yeah. and what Jesus is establishing here is he has authority over life so when he says he came to bring his life and life to the fullest this is what he's doing he's going, let me show you the enemy's the one that keeps you from that but I'm going to reorder and establish it so the first things he kind of tackles are our big issues I want a good life now and boy would I like to see grandma again right yeah. but it's much better than that it's like man not only can you have the life you want it can be filled with joy and hope and purpose and you can not have to fear death because Jesus holds the authority over, you know, evil and authority over uh, death and sickness. Yeah, I feel like as you look at this, it's so 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee. He was teaching on the Sabbath. And then 32 is where, like, the music changed, like, yeah. right? The, the tone changes, and they were, or actually it's 33, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. It's such a big deal here. Like, yeah. really, Warden's that word, we want to make sure we really understand it. It, it means... Uh, the same thing as authorization, okay. right? So you go, are you allowed back here? Yeah, I have authorization, right? right, right. So it means delegated empowerment. Right. So for 
all this time they're going, does God love us? Is he going to do something? Is anybody, can anybody fix this? Yeah. Look at our country and go, can anybody fix this? Look at the election. Can anybody fix this? Look at all those things. And that's just the real question, same question they're asking. And all of a sudden he shows up and what the scriptures and Luke are telling us is he was delegated all them and empowered with all the authorization to do what was ever, whatever is necessary for you and I to be with him forever. Right, so pretty significant. Yeah, and so then verse thirty-three specifically is where I feel like the music changes, right? Like yeah. so, they see that he's got this authority in teaching, but now they're about to see a different type of authority. It says in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, "Ha! Uh, uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you who you are, the Holy One of God." But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And, and one of the things I think I wanted to kind of focus on is, is kind of, I think you, there was a lot of feedback, or at least it seems that there's been a lot of feedback of people appreciating kind of the difference and understanding, hey, we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit, like what God has yeah. done, but then there's also an enemy. Yeah, so even, let's use the language yeah. that's probably, we have an advocate and an adversary. Yes. Right? We have one who stands before us, fights for us, fights right. on our behalf, intercedes on our behalf, and we have an adversary, the one who wants to stand in the way yeah. of that. And so, so I thought what, what you kind of said, and, and as always, man, I would encourage you to listen to that that message if you haven't already. Don't listen to it at one and a half speed. Promise. <laughs> you probably don't want to do that. Yeah, I felt like I was governed a little bit because I handheld, but still okay. it was pretty quick. So, but you know. le- I felt like what you said there was really important. Do you want to go kind of into that? Like if there was two things specifically that you said, uh, I, and I don't want to take them from you, but I yeah. felt like maybe that would be worth repeating here because at least from some of the people that we've you know read comments from, some people that have said stuff to us, that seemed like it was very helpful for us to understand as we're looking at and understanding who Christ is, who God is, but then also who Satan is, yeah. and really the lack of authority that he has, but sometimes we as believers have that twisted. Yeah, so we have an advocate, and we have an adversary. And so you go, oh, that makes sense. But then your natural inclination is go, oh, yin and yang. I get right. that. Good and right. bad, you know, like water, ice, what, like just that. Like we right. think, in this, and it's fair that you think this, because so much of the scriptures are written in terms of contrast. Right. Right? And so right. I'll build his house on the rock versus... Man who built his house on the sand, right? He's got lots of contrast. And so our natural bend is to go, oh, okay, we get this good and evil right. advocate, adversary. Movie, like good guy, bad guy. Ooh, right? I hope the adversary wins. And, you know, we have this bend that we think they're going to because of superhero movies, all that kind of stuff, which is, we get that from the gospel. Uh, yeah. Not for a different day. I promise it will come back up again. Um, and I don't know why you keep paying for more of the same movies. My kid likes these Marvel movies. They're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. You got creation. They're different jokes. Redem- fall, redemption, restoration. Yeah, whatever. Right, so, but anyway, so you have this, you got an advocate and adversary and our natural bent does it go, okay, they must be equals and yeah. um, that feels a little bit like a crapshoot. Like, yeah. oh, let's flip a right, coin. Maybe right, this will right. be a good day. Right? Oh, Lord, I hope this is a good day. Yesterday's a bad day. 2020 was a bad year. Guess what I mean? 2021's going to be a good year. Kind of this like ebb and flow that it all evens out and many of our religion, uh, religious beliefs are we think we get to heaven if we have more good days than bad days. Right. It's like, oh. So that's the natural bend. And so it's very important to go. The first thing you got to understand is uh, that while we have an adversary, he is not equal to God. Yeah. Not equal to God. Like in no way is he equal to God. Like when Jesus rebukes him, that literally means he gives him, a, he assigns him his value, which is almost negative numbers, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's very tiny. Now there's pretty neat that God is such a good steward that he doesn't, waste the enemy he goes hey let me continue to show you what the enemy meant for harm what people mean for harm i'm going to use for good the saving of many lives so god is even going to be such a good steward of all those moments but they're not equals god and satan are not equals they are not the opposite of each other they're not both everywhere they're not omnipresent satan is probably not the one tempting you right this second if so boy does god have big plans for you because there are seven eight billion people on this planet for him to zero in Right there on you. Now, the reality is there is an army of enemies, the, the demons, spiritual forces who do not like you, who hate you, and want to distract you and hope that it eventually destroys you, right? Which is so, so scary if that's where we leave ourselves going, but he's not equal to God. So it's really important to go that God has authority over the enemy. Yeah. And guess who he's given that authority to? You and me. Meaning, you can actually speak it out loud. Here's one of the crazy, crazy things. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, over my sabbatical, I was reading a book uh, by Neil Lozado, and it's about it's about being free, right? One of our, someone in our church sent to me really nice. But it said one thing that was so profound 
It says, you know, there's a spiritual oppression that, that comes on people. And I believe that would be true. I think my family experiences it. Your family experiences it. And sometimes you just pray and go, I hope that goes away, right? Or, God, we take it away. And, like, one of those for me is anxiety, like a spirit of anxiety. And one of the things I was challenged to do was actually speak out loud and tell the, mm-hmm. that spirit of anxiety that it has no home in my mind or in my life mm-hmm. or in my, in my, you know, in my world, in our church. And it's like, you got to speak it out loud because those demons, they don't know what you're thinking all the time. They don't have access to all these things. So when you declare Jesus' authority, I know, again, this sounds really Pentecostal or charismatic and, you know, hocus pocus, but it's like, it's still biblical. So we get to declare that authority. So if we understand that Jesus and God, Jesus Jesus and Satan are not equals, advocate, adversary, he has someone fighting for us, but he has all the authority in the world. And we have this, this enemy who can be rebuked, yeah. right? Then we now have, get to live in that speaking authority. We get to claim what Jesus did for yeah. our for our lives, for our kids, for our marriages, right? We we get to do those things because we have that authority. So that's the first part. Now, the problem is when I first go advocate adversary, the, the first band is, oh, they must be equal. Then once we clear that up, you go, okay, now everything bad in my life must be the result of that. And I'll just speak these things. Well, well hold on just a second. You should speak them. But some of the reasons you have anxiety is because of your own flesh, <laughs> right? And so we get, like, I got to clean that up. You got to clean that up. And so... We can't give the enemy credit for our decisions, right? Now, maybe, like, because what the scripture tells us is God will not allow us to be tempted more than we can handle. Doesn't mean he won't give us more than we can handle. That's a falsehood, a mess, right? He does, because we got to cling to him. But there is no temptation that is so great that we we have to submit to it. So while the enemy is an issue, the other issue is actually the world and our flesh. And so we, we can't... We can't over-credit the enemy. We can't discount his power, but we have to kind of marry these things and go, okay, I need to take God's authority and and speak it to my into my life and speak it to those around me and and trust that there's an advocate working on my behalf. And yet I also need to do the fearless moral inventory in the process of progressive uh, holiness where I go, how do I become more and more like Jesus because my flesh needs to die? And how do you make flesh die? Well, you starve it. Yeah. This is what you do, right? And so how do we how do we continue to do that? Which is why I wanted to kind of give the picture of the way by which the enemy takes you know root in our life is through either invasion or invitation. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to kind of give here's the house. This is what I wanted you to understand is we gotta stop inviting or allowing the enemy into places in our life. We gotta stop looking at that, we gotta yeah. stop drinking that, we gotta stop saying that, we gotta stop doing that, we gotta stop thinking that. There are things in our life where we have to go, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to yeah. To resist this, and so I think that's where it's important to go. He's not equal to God, and he's not your only enemy. So. Yeah, I thought even that. Like, I feel like I have several thoughts there, but the yeah. house, the invitation to, to invasion, like, yeah. and it can be both, right? Like, yeah. the invitation is something small, but it becomes something bigger, and that's the gateway for a lot of different things. Yeah. That it's just something small that you allow that that grows into yeah. something. Yeah. So this is why, like, like you said, the imaginal number line, you got progressive sanctification, right? right? Our progressive holiness is work towards it, right? And what I would argue is that's the cumulative effect. Yeah. But we also see the cumulative effect in the negative way in so many ways, like the, like how we gain weight or yeah. uh, how we uh, end up losing our children or how we end up standing on a street corner selling ourselves or selling something. No one goes, that's what I want to do. Right. A little, little, day by day, yeah. our flesh go in the wrong direction and not surrendering it to the authority of Jesus it will eventually lead us. That's why I go, yeah, I don't know that he is always out to destroy us. He just needs to distract you. So I, I thought that yeah, was such yeah. a good, the, yeah. like, I don't know if that was a quote from somebody, but just, I thought that that think, was really good. Yeah, you know, I've said it forever. So, and so, it not even go a little further, go, eventually, if we're left to our own devices, like, distract yeah. of it'll eventually lead to our own demise, right? It's just, there's lots of these in there. It's my Southern Baptist heritage, right? And so there is something in that that go, yeah, what, you distract me long enough, I distract myself long enough. Like, that's why even, philanthropy, yeah. good works, Satan could be really, really good with that, right? And that was, you know, okay, fine, do that. As long as you're distracted and don't surrender yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, whatever, right? Or even think about marriages. You go, those people have no idea who God is and their marriage is awesome. Yeah. Like, marriage is so hard for you or me or whoever. And we're going, why is that? Well, it makes sense. Well, the enemy doesn't care about their marriage because they're distracted by how each other fills their needs. And they're not really paying attention to what God actually has for them and what he wants them. Of course he'd want to do the distraction to, to yeah. folks who are, who are trying to chase after the Lord. Yeah. 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 
so I feel like as as a recap, like Satan is not equal to God and demons are not your only one enemy. I feel like that first point is that if there was a movie about Jesus and, and Satan, it would be a pretty boring me- movie <laughs> yeah, because like, it wouldn't be like back and forth. It would be like one side crushes the other. In a world filled with evil and good, so, Jesus wins. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, then there's... Scene br- one. Ah! Scene two. Oh! Scene three. I give up! Right, yeah. Got it. So, Sorry. So, in 34, one of the things <laughs> that you pointed out, you said that there's a difference between knowing God, because the demons know who God is, and then surrendering to him. I thought that that was worth repeating. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Like, this is very significant. Yeah. Because two things that are falsehoods in terms of soterology or the study of salvation, right? Two falsehoods. is one, my mom and dad are Christians, so therefore I'm a Christian, right? This is not, it's not like osmosis. It doesn't like just spread that way. There's actually, you have to invite and understand and receive Jesus into your heart and you have to call him Lord. In fact, I started talking about that and I almost, I'm said Lord that they acknowledged he was Lord and I was like, oh, I got to make sure I clean that up and not teaching on Sundays. Go, no, no, they didn't surrender to his lordship. They understood he had all the power and authority, yeah. but they were not going to surrender. Yeah. So that's really, really significant because there are there are two different kind of sides. One, you pretend like Jesus doesn't exist, right? And yeah. so uh, you got that whole side realm where, man, you're going to have a reckoning one day and go, man, could you consider the creation and creator? That's what Paul tells us in Romans 1, that they got so caught up in creation that you started worshiping creation, all the things yourself, you, you know. The, the pleasures and, set and lost side of the creator who created creation, right? So you get that whole side. And on the other side, and this is where it gets really dangerous in the church, is one of the things we, we talk about a lot, even on, you know, like even this belief, you know, kind of wide-sweeping uh, generalization that all you got to do is believe in God. There's lots of people that believe in God. There's only just one God, right? They're all worshiping just in different ways. It's just one God. And it's like, no, there's a lot of people who believe in God. And some of them have an accurate view of God, but believing there's a God, which I'd say 75, 80% of the world believes there's some kind of creator. Believing there's a God and submitting yourself to his lordship are two significantly different things. And the reason we know this is uh, these demons, not only do they believe in God, they had a better theological understanding, Christology is what we call it, than I do, or you do, or John Piper does, or Tim Keller. Think of your pastor. These guys have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Than the, and then Martin Luther or John Calvin, any of these guys. And so it's like, look, this you can be really deep theologically and have all sorts of understanding in your life, like demons do. They can re- You can even recognize Jesus' work, right? right? Like demons do. And yet, if you don't surrender to the lordship of that... Even even fear him, right? Because yeah. like, yeah. the demons fear him. Uh, they like, even fear him. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Hey, no, please lose the hardest. Yeah. And yet there's something in that they just cannot surrender to the yeah. lordship of that. So... Salvation comes from whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Calls upon the name of the Lord saying, you are the boss, you are the master, you are the one in charge, and I am so trusting you and so confident in your goodness that I would give you every part of me, yeah. right? And that is a, uh, you know, positionally, holiness. In that moment, yeah. it happens. Progressively, you're going, ah, this is a harder part to give. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm giving you my money. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm giving you my flesh, right? Yeah. This little by little. But, yeah, so I think that is really important that believing in God is not even close to yeah. enough. Yeah, I think that as we kind of kind of looking at the time, kind of yeah. quickly working through the rest of this. So so he goes right from this experience, um, you know, casting out the demon um, into he heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then you see him heal um, many. It says, now when the sun was set, this is verse 40, and all, um, all those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Every one of them. And demons came out of many, saying, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Like, I, I think that as we wrap up that that passage, like, there's, again, listen to the message. There's so much more that we can cover, but we just are running out of time here as well. But I even thought that, like, the rebuke that he does of, of the demons, I've always heard it differently. Like, like I've always oh, heard it, like, oh, Jesus just doesn't want, want, to know yet. want people to know that he is the yeah. Son of God. Yeah. But it was a different view that you said. Well, it's interesting. Right? Well, that, would be, that was my first inclination, too. But it actually says, but it says, let me see, make sure I get this right. Um, because uh, he would not, uh, but God, he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So you got something about... He wouldn't allow them to speak because what they would say is actually true. They knew yeah. this, but he's like, they don't have the authority to declare my goodness. Right, right. Like they, they are, they are on the opposite team. Yeah. They, like this is this is not my team. These right. are no no. They knew it, but because they were demons, they 
there's no way that God was going to allow them the opportunity to declare his goodness because they were filled with lies. Right. And so it was more of a, you know I'm the Christ, you could actually say it, or you could give your spin on it, which is what demonic is, half-truths, yeah. right? So instead it's like this clear, you know, shutting of a mouth going, there is nothing that you say which will, will be helpful mm-hmm. for the kingdom. So he removed their ability to do that. So, yeah. so I do think, yeah, it's more about, again, this authority. Yeah. They don't get to speak about God's goodness. Now watch this. Remember when you asked earlier, hey, I just don't feel the positional saint I'm like that I'm, I'm holy. Well, do you get to declare God's goodness? Like, can you say that out loud? Try it right now. God is good and he's good all the time. Say, Jesus is Lord and Savior and he alone is worthy of worship. Yeah. See that you can say that? Well, that means God is not discounting you and shut your mouth because you're not on the opposite <laughs> team. That's really good news. So let's declare that goodness over and over again. Why? Because he's given us permission and authority and a commandment too. Yeah. Uh, so a few minutes left. Anything else that you wanted to get to or that we didn't cover today or something that was left on the cutting room floor? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I, we talked heavily about, you know, spiritual work, uh, spiritual demonic forces. What we, what I do want to make sure we, we understand is he also has authority over sickness, yeah. right? Which is another broken part of the fall, right? right? So G- Satan wants to be like God, wants to be worshipped, which is our problem too. We want people to think better of us. Celebrate us. I mean, we can check by the way we take our pictures on Facebook to what the things we post, all those kind of things. Like there is just this desire to add more value to our life than what Jesus actually esteems it to be, which is your son of the most high God. So why don't we try to do that ourselves, <laughs> right? And so our, our daughter of the most high God, sorry about that. And so when you see those things, you go, okay, I, I get that. I understand it. And there's just kind of this natural thing. Of, well, I want to make sure to surrender myself there. But then you got a whole other side of the broken fallen world, which is, there is death and sickness. Yeah. And right now was staring us in the face. And uh, as we speak here today, uh, news yesterday came out about a vaccine. And then you got your political uh, you know, assumptions about that. But beyond that, what we understand is there is a real brokenness. And there is a sickness that's kind of haunting many of us to the point of paralysis for some. And it's really important to go, do you, do you believe that God has absolute authority over COVID-19? Because you may have early on, and you're praying Psalm 91, and you're really, really hoping that to be the case, right? Yeah, praying those things, but are you still praying it? Like, do you, like, if God hasn't done what you want him to in the timeline that you want to do it, does that mean you no longer believe it? Or do you no longer feel like you need to pray it? And I just offer this to you. I think, as Christians, as a church, the most significant thing you can do right now in light of the pandemic in our world is pray to the living God who has the authority to do something about it. And, there, and there's two reasons for it, right? And I think the second reason might actually explain why it hasn't happened in the first reason. One is because it shows us or reminds us that God has all the authority in the world. So it's that. Do you believe that he has authority over sickness? you think he can just speak sickness away? Mm-hmm. Which leads to the second one. Well, I keep praying it, but it hasn't happened. No. Remember this. What's the number one objective for Jesus? That you and I would be with him forever in a relationship. You know what a relationship includes? Conversation and time together. So, one of the beautiful things about continuing to pray over the scriptures, Psalm 91, others with Jesus in this, is not only are you declaring his authority, changing the way you think about the pandemic, but two, the, the more you pray about it, the more time you actually spend with Jesus, which means... Maybe he's more interested in this moment of you and him together. No, he's wanting you to position yourself to see that he's the, the spirit of the living God rules and reigns over COVID-19 or 20 or 31, whenever it's going to be next, right? He rules and reigns. And we have to pray and ask God's authority to come over that, come over our family, come over our church, come over our community, come over our nation, come over our world. And even a better, uh, I wouldn't say byproduct, but a better product is as you do that, you're doing the very thing that Jesus created you to do, which is actually be with him. And as we pray, every single time, he's either going to answer your prayer in the way that you prayed it, or the way that you would pray it if you could see and know all the things that God sees and knows. And the way that you start seeing and knowing the thing, the way that God sees and knows is by spending time with him. So as you pray, God's either going to answer that prayer, or is he going to pray, answer in the way that He you, you would pray if you could see and know all the things that God sees and knows. And as you're praying, you're starting to see and know as God sees and knows. So it's like, the most beautiful thing that is so nuanced is, could you just pause? Can we pause daily and just ask the Lord, just like you did for the election, 
Just double down on sickness in our world. Double down on cancer in our world. And go, God, you alone have the authority to, to rule and reign over this. And let's ask him to do that. And then let's promise him that we'll give him the credit when he does. So let's see what he's up to. And then let's celebrate his goodness and celebrate that even while we're, we are waiting, we're becoming like him, knowing him better, seeing him to, for all of his goodness and all of his glory. Well, I think uh, that's about all the time that we yeah. have for this week. So I want to thank you guys for joining us again, whether you're watching us live, or you're catching this later on whatever channel you're watching your podcasts on or listening to your podcasts. We really hope that this does challenge and encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Please let us know any questions that you have. You can email us over time at clcfamily.church. Um, you can text us 610-869-2140 um, and uh, contact us through the website. Call Write it on the bulletin. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Any way that you can get these questions to us, we'd love to be able to talk through them for next week uh, and for the weeks after that. So we hope that this is something that you are blessed by and hope you have a great week. Yep. See you. Walk in his authority and love and grace and peace this week. Amen. Amen. See you guys.